0: Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. Welcome to Episode 6 of the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Painter, here with Mark Painter and Dr. John Lynn. And today we're going to talk about reopening, and I put air quotes on reopening, uh, as most urology practices haven't been totally closed down. But uh, we're going to be talking about reopening the urology practice, and are there any opportunities to gain some efficiencies with that? So uh, we, and as I mentioned, we have Dr. John Lynn, who's a solo, solo practitioner. And for those of you who don't know him, in Gilbert, Arizona, which is in the Phoenix metropolitan area, and uh, he's uh, been a speaker with us at PRS Network, and uh, we're excited to have him, and we appreciate his practice efficiencies and how he's really figured out how to run his practice very well, so we thought it'd be a great um, opportunity to get John on and talk about how he sees the reopening and his strategy. So welcome, John.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Excellent. So, John, do you have? Uh, can you share with us your your strategy for opening and kind of the steps that you're going to take? Certainly, reopening. <laughs>
1: Certainly. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, in Arizona, they never shut urology practices down or medical practices down uh, during the COVID. We're, we're still in the midst of the COVID nineteen public health emergency. We continue to see patients that need to be seen, meaning guys, young guy, a young man with scrotal pain or a scrotal mass, or someone who was uh, seen uh, with by their primary care doctor with flank pain comes in with an obstructing stone. So we're still seeing those patients in real life uh, during the COVID-19 crisis. Anything that we can do to minimize exposure of these patients to the hospital and to the emergency room. So we never completely shut down, uh, but we did move a lot of the uh, like, say, vasectomy patients or erectile dysfunction patients. Those are not really critical issues in, in my mind. So we stop seeing those patients, new patients, and we reschedule those patients so that they could be seen further down the line. So we continue to see patients even though in a very, very limited basis during the, during the crisis, and we rescheduled a lot of the uh, patients that can wait. We've also implemented a lot of telemedicine so we can take care of the, the patients that don't need a physical visit in real life in, in, our, in our practice. So as far as reopening go- goes, uh, we will probably continue to do what we've been doing. So whenever we have to see uh, patients in real life in our clinic, uh, we have uh, taken a page off of, out of the playbook for a lot of other facilities and practices, such as Covid screening. We call the patients before they arrive, and we ask them the Covid, Covid questions, the risk factor questions. Have they traveled to an endemic area? Have they, uh, have they had uh, certain symptoms and uh, exposure to someone who's had Covid? So we ask those symptoms before they arrive. If if they are symptomatic or if they're suspected of having Covid nineteen, then we refer them to their primary care doctor for appropriate care, and then. We also tell them not to bring any family members because they will not be able to hang out in our reception area. Instead, they are placed in the, the vehicle and so they have to wait. And uh, we, see we greatly reduce the number of patients we see at a time, meaning usually we have one patient in the entire office at one time so that there's no exposure or minimizing exposure to another patient. Uh, so that's what we have been doing during this crisis and, and we 've always taken vital signs on every single patient in the past, so getting their temperature is something that we do routinely anyway that is nothing nothing new
0: so are you going to continue to just see one patient uh, I mean bring one patient in or how is that going to how are you going to do that moving forward?
1: when it comes to reopening, yes, that is one of the things that will have to change meaning we we'll, we'll, we'll see more than one patient in the office at a time but We are going to continue with that physical distance, the physical distancing measures. Uh, In addition to the uh, things that I've already mentioned, we also removed a ton of chairs from the reception area. So just in case there are, there's more than one person in the reception area, there's physical distancing being promoted in that environment.
2: Are you requiring folks to uh, wear masks when they come into your office or are you supplying masks? Is that anything that you've, you've dealt with? In the, before the the recommendation by the Surgeons General for masks,
1: we have we have not mandated masks. Uh, however, now I think most patients are coming in with masks, and we have enough of a supply currently to give them a mask if they don't uh, come in with a mask. So we are highly encouraging face face covering, not necessarily a surgical mask, but any sort of a face covering to minimize more more to for them to protect us. And then I've always worn a mask ever since this crisis started to protect the patients from me if I were an asymptomatic carrier. Okay.
0: Great. Are, you, uh, are you starting to get a lot of calls as uh, the restrictions start to ease up? Are more patients wanting to come see you or is the volume um, going to be there or where, where do you see it right now? And in- and in the future.
1: As far as reopening goes, we are contacting the, pa- the patients who have been displaced from the initial outbreak and uh, we have to reschedule. And so we're calling those patients, we're, we're giving those pri- patients priority to be seen first. And then we are taking the urgent and emergent cases, uh, patients that we'll see in real life. Um, and then all the other ones, I, I think a lot of the uh, follow-ups can be done via telemedicine if they're agreeable. And if not, then we will see those patients in person. Um, as, far as, as far as demand goes, I think depending on, the, depending on how much confidence the public has, I think that's gonna greatly drive demand. In Arizona, we have not been hit really hard, uh, if at all, I mean, minimally, when it comes to uh, COVID-19. So I think the public is ready to get back to some resemblance of normal here. And I think the, our recovery here as far as from seeing patients and patient volume is uh, going to be pretty rapid.
0: That's excellent. Do you, what are you going to do with all the, do you have a lot of people on your schedule now that you're going to be just seeing as normal? Or are you waiting to, for them to call or for you to call them uh, to get them in? Have they all been canceled or how does your schedule, how is it lined up right now?
2: It.
1: Actually, before Governor DeDucey, Governor of Arizona, says, said that we, he's going to allow elective surgery starting May 1st, uh, we have been looking at our schedules week by week. So, if I see that towards the end of the week, the following week, we haven't gotten any uh, clearance or, or okay from the governor to do more, uh, the restrictions lifted, if you will, uh, I, we have been rescheduling those patients to a later date. Those patients that can wait, that are not the, the procedures or the conditions that are slightly more elective, if you will. I'll put the elective in air quotes. Um, so we, we've been looking at it week by week instead of just rescheduling everybody uh, because that creates even more anxiety uh, for these patients who, who are um, worried about their health, urologic your, your condition. Um, as far as the uh, scheduling this com- that's coming up, yeah I, there's a shortage of national shortage of urologists and i think as public confidence builds we are going to be able to uh hopefully meet the demands of gosh after covid-19 we're already busy initially and then now you have all this pent up demand it's going to be insane
2: yeah so I, um one of the things that um that i I've, I've talked to a couple of folks about given the fact that the public isn't quite there yet um is the ability to go through the tele, the telemedicine or telehealth visit um, and, you know, kind of work them all the way up so that they're coming in for the procedure. Is, is that, are you using that uh, strategy for a lot of folks to minimize their, their contact?
1: Yes, definitely, especially for microhematuria workup. So th- these patients who will, come, who, will, who will present with microhematuria, I, often they will already have the records sent to us from their primary care doctor, I will have had a chance to look at it and determine whether or not the patient is a good candidate for a telemedicine visit. And I will do the telemedicine visit and then schedule any necessary upper tract imaging and followed by a cystoscopy to be scheduled in the office. So by the time they come into the office in real life, they will have had the upper tract imaging and I will have met them and they know that I'm going to perform a cystoscopy on them. And for female pelvic examination, for a man, a GU examination, of course.
2: Right. What about vasectomy? Same same pathway or are you just having to bring them in? That's a, that's, a, that's a struggle for me because
1: I can, having done so, as the number one vasectomist in Arizona, right. I have had a lot of experience. Most guys will be fine if I saw them the same day and I did the, their vasectomies the same day. Or if I met them virtually and then performed their vasectomy the following the following visit, which is probably more ideal than office visit and vasectomy on the same day. During this public emergency, public health emergency, I have not seen any vasectomy in new patients because I figure they're elective, there's no need to risk put them at risk or put my staff and myself at risk by seeing these patients. And so I have not seen them using telemedicine. I have not seen them in real life. But th- there's a huge, huge demand, as, as you can imagine. Um, yeah. I've done a lot of uh, not so much marketing, but just get, getting the word out there about our experience and the patient's experience uh, regarding vasectomies. So there's a, a lot of people are calling.
2: Yeah. Are you, are you thinking about implementing something like that as you're going forward to bring, as you start opening up? for elective surgeries on May 1st is that are you going to try and work the tele- telemed in or just bring them in and, and go with the, the, the face-to-face? Uh, for vasectomies? Yeah. I, I, am, I, I am on a
1: fence. I still like to examine the patient and uh, give them expectations. However, having done so many of these and having met so many uh, patients, I, c- I will need to do a GU, a, a scrotal examination Right. Using telemedicine, obviously, I'm going to have to look at the scrotum and assess the patient's overall anatomy, um, and then give them give the man some expectation of what to expect based on that interaction. And uh, I think it is definitely doable, um, but of course, you won't be able to detect any sort of a scrotal abnormality right. or um, uh, testicular masses or anything like that. So, I, I'm still on the fence. I before COVID hit, I was actually gearing up to do that, trying to, trying to see if I can do it. Now that I've had experience, I know the quality of the video that I can get using the telemedicine platform that, I, that I'm using, I'm pretty comfortable in proceeding with telemedicine visits for vasectomy patients if, if I decide to do, go that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, interesting. Do you think you will make any of those changes that you're doing for covid a permanent change in your practice, you know, seeing down the road whenever this may go back to some sort of normal?
1: Telemedicine is definitely here to stay. Uh, and uh, I'm, it's, it's unfortunate that it took COVID-19 to accelerate this adoption. I mean, it took over 10 years of people talking about it, but now within weeks, within a month, everybody's doing telemedicine and the patient's love it. My patients love it. The oldest patient that I've done telemedicine on is a 92-year-old. So m- not many wow. people uh, complained. And almost everybody has a smartphone with a data plan that is uh, adequate to conduct uh, telemedic- telemedicine visits. So telemedicine is here to stay. Even if we don't have the relaxed rules from CMS when it comes to reimbursement and uh, and uh, privacy, uh, the the, uh, pub, the, the uh, privacy issues, the relaxed the, the CMS relaxing that and also allowing uh, reimbursement for telemedicine even without those in place, I will definitely offer telemedicine to uh, people who want it on probably a cash uh, type of a service because. Once the cat is out of the bag, you can't put it back. The patients love the fact that they don't have to drive somewhere. They don't have to park. They don't have to wait in a reception area that could be infected. They don't have to wait in the doctor's office, and the doctor may be running late. So time is money, and what is one thing you cannot buy with money? And that is time. And pa- patients patients value their time, and patients value their money. But given the choice, I think a lot of patients are willing to pay for that time savings so that they don't have to come in. Yeah.
0: And do you think it makes your practice more efficient doing that overall? There's a shortage of
1: urologists. There's not enough hours in a day. Even if So if you can see the patients that you really need to see in real life, physically in the office, that leaves a lot more time for you to take care of the patients, probably using uh, telemedicine. Some practices and some urologists maybe may benefit from the efficiencies gained with telemedicine. So, I think it's, it's a it's a good idea for everyone to consider using telemedicine. It'll ha- it's good for the public, and it's also good for the practice.
2: Now, as you're as you're starting to see the elective surgery bans or restrictions lift. Um, Are you running into things like we are in Colorado and some of the other groups are with, you know, kind of different structures and different requests for testing and patient safety? Boy, uh, since uh, I think
1: about less than a week ago, Governor Ducey said that, yes, elective surgeries can be done and you can open things up at the hospital and the surgery centers to perform elective surgeries he kind of punted, uh, got further guidance to the Arizona uh, Department of Health uh, Services. And uh, let's just say that the guidance is uh, a little murky, shall we say. (laughs) I just received, uh, gosh, about four hours ago from the hospital uh, stating, and I will quote, uh, all essential surgeries, elective, urgent, and emergent, do not require COVID-19 testing pre-op. (laughs) However, if you want a patient tested, testing is available at the hospital. On the the other hand, at the surgery center, they're trying to come up with guidelines. And and initially, they are requiring COVID-19 testing. And of course, do you want the actual nasal pharyngeal swab? Or do you want the antibody testing? I was getting some information that they wanted the antibody testing. Well, that doesn't quite make sense. So it's kind of all over the place. Nobody really knows. Everybody's trying to come up with the the, the appropriate guidelines. And Governor Ducey also put in some requirements saying that if you're a facility, you need to have adequate supplies, adequate PPEs for 14 days. You can't ask the state for it if you decide to do these, to open things up for elective surgeries. So there are a lot of uh, requirements and just – just a few hours ago, I received a frequently asked questions, you know, kind of like Medicare. They come up with the interim final rule. And yeah. then here's a fact. Here's a frequently asked question to explain what we mean. Well, a few hours ago, I received that from Governor Ducey's office to explain what he meant by <laughs> by, by his executive order uh, less than a week ago.
2: Yeah. man, It's a mess. It yeah. is a mess. So, um, so do you think everybody's going to, line up? Do you think you're going to be able to, to uh, start doing surgeries next week or? Uh, Yes. As a matter of fact, I already have several surgeries
1: scheduled for the beginning of May. Good. Uh, I, um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a busy, it's going to be a busy first uh, couple of weeks of of May for all the, all the surgeries that have been delayed or deferred, shall we say. Yeah.
0: And are you having to personally do uh, some patient confidence uh, are are your patients worried about it? Uh, have they expressed any concern to you directly
1: about the uh, surgery or the the COVID
0: doing surgery? The COVID in surgery, so uh, the no, risk no one, of COVID.
1: No, no one's no one's uh, questioned about the uh, safety safety of uh, doing surgery uh, during COVID. They they see what's what's going on and they know uh, they know the steps that we've taken to ensure their safety. The questions that we've been asking, the pre op testing. Uh, just, I think what's what's important during this time is, uh, as a as a physician owner, you have to lead with confidence. You, if you don't know something, you need to let the staff and the patients know. Hey, we don't really know what the best practice is, but you want to lead with confidence and assurance, and uh, make sure that they get the sense that everything is is going to be okay. That you have things as under control the, as, as best as you can in, in your acting, given the best information that you have. So I'm constantly looking at the, the state, uh, Arizona Department of Health and Health Services. They have a nice dashboard of how many cases infected, how many COVID-like infections that they, they're seeing in the ER and, and in the hospital. And by sharing some of that information with the patients who may be concerned or family members or friends I think that gives them a lot of confidence and reassurance that everything is going to be okay. Should you decide, okay, let's go ahead and with the uh, elective surgery? Okay, that's it's a great point.
0: Yep, that makes a lot of sense. Is there anything else that uh, that that you're doing uh, to to air quote reopen?
1: We are very fortunate in that we have been uh, a little germaphobic in this in this office with my whole staff we haven't really had to change much when it comes to uh, during COVID-19 and when it comes to sanitation. We, we continue to, uh, we may do even more uh, of wiping down services and, and door handles. I am not washing my hands more because I've always washed my hands tons while seeing patients. I've, and, uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, when it comes to uh, the flu, seasonal flu, or if you look on my Facebook timeline over the last two years, I live, I live stream my vaccinations for the flu and I talk about how it's important to be vaccinated and how many deaths that are occurring with the flu virus. So we've always been very aware and a little bit germaphobic. Um, so we are going to continue with our uh, sanitation processes and uh, con- continue with the medication efforts, uh, the physical distancing, the hand washing, and uh, try to promote that and let the patients know what they should be doing.
0: Very good, Mark. Anything more to add?
2: No, not at this time. I, I mean, in the end, I think we're all going to be learning um, how how to how to re-enter society after you know six to eight weeks of of uh, of being shut down, and it's going to be interesting to see how this rolls out from area to area. And I'm sure we're going to hear different different stories from everybody as they bring things back online, and so. Um, obviously, John, thanks for your suggestions uh, to everybody um and throughout this you know continuing to engage with the the thriving urology practice group and you know swapping information back and forth it's been it's been remarkable how all the urology offices have have done so well in sharing information and and moving so quickly to adapt to this huge change so um, thank you
0: very much. Yeah, John, do you want to tell them how to join uh, the Thriving Urology Practice group? Yeah,
1: yeah I created this uh, Thriving Urology, the Thriving Urology Practice Facebook group, and it obviously is on Facebook. Uh, out of that, out of the, all the content that I share on there, some of it makes it to uh, YouTube. Uh, if you look on John C. Lynn MD, you'll find me on YouTube sharing a lot of the uh, same content over there. Um, it is, it, if I have to go through a pandemic now, I'm glad I'm going through the pandemic Pandemic now. I can't, I can't imagine going through it back in 1917, 1918, when information mm. sharing is so slow and so limited. Um, now we get instantaneous information and live streaming of the White House uh, press briefing, and uh, you can get information directly from the source. So I'm glad that we have the ability to d- disseminate information most of it good information uh, (laughs) health-wise and also to keep uh, urology practices and medical practices going. And lastly, I want to say thank you, PRS Network, especially Mark, for sharing. For so many years, you've shared so much uh, information for free through different mediums. And now you are doing podcasting, I've hosted you as a guest on, on the Thriving Urology Practice Facebook group. You've, you've been on, uh, on, my, on Facebook, uh, on YouTube as well, just sharing so freely, sharing coding and, and billing information to other urology practices. I, I, I tell you, I mean, without a doubt, PRS Network and, and you guys have been instrumental in my success in having the confidence to bill accurately and code accurately and effectively so I'm working smarter and not harder. So thank you. Uh,
2: thank you. So it's been it's been fun to watch the uh, the evolution of all this stuff, and it's been great, our relationship over the years. So I look forward to many more. Thanks.
0: Very all good. Right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, we will put the link to uh, – or the name and the link to the the, Thri- the Thriving Urology Practice Facebook group in the episode notes. So if you go to prsnetwork.com forward slash podcast, you can uh, – Uh, click on episode six, and we'll have all the information in the uh, show notes. And uh, you can contact any of us uh, through that. We also have the urology coding and reimbursement group that you can join and ask questions. So you can reach any of us there. And thank you all for listening. Special thanks to Carl Painter for the music today. You can find his music under his record label, with extra pulp and special guests.